Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1276 of the Lost on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It's Summer League week. The NBA is, of course, ramping up. There have already been games happening in San Francisco and Salt Lake City. The Hawks do not open in Las Vegas until Saturday, but with all kinds of attention paid on the young guys at this point in time, it's time to air my interview that I recorded with Brian Geisinger about A.J. Griffin. Of course, the Hawks acquired Griffin via the draft, mid-first round pick. A very exciting selection, in my opinion, as we'll get into on this podcast. I know I praised that pick. It was a great value for the Hawks, and I touched on that already. But more on that, obviously, here. And Brian covered A.J. Griffin extensively at Duke, as uh, Brian writes for ACC Sports and does other, other podcasting ventures about the Charlotte Hornets, has a great idea about that basketball in that region. So a great source there. This is an entire podcast basically on AJ Griffin, his future, obviously a little bit helpful for a summer league preview of what to watch for as well. But what he does well, what he does a little, little bit less well at this point in time, in fact, he's still 18 years old. The future is very bright there, but I wanted to have a deep dive, sort of solo-ish podcast about AJ Griffin and Brian, perfect person to come on the podcast to help me with that venture. So I just as a plug before we get to the actual podcast itself, I've been wall to wall covering everything happening with the Hawks, dating back to the draft, the Jante Murray trade, trade rumors up and down the board, Kevin Herter going to Sacramento, um, the latest stuff from previewing summer league. I talked about, you know, wire to wire everything basically, free agency, the way the Hawks have over, overhauled their roster, the latest news and notes, et cetera. All that is still available on the podcast feed. Please subscribe to the show on your platform of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher. And of course, on video at, on YouTube. Also, follow the show on Twitter at BT Rowan for me and then at, at Lockdown Hawks for the show itself. And uh, yeah, with all that said, we'll have the intro and then I'll be back with Brian Geisinger on AJ Griffin. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I am joined now by a expert on AJ Griffin and all things ACC basketball. Uh, Brian Geisinger is here. I appreciate you coming on, sir. This is the first time appearance. And I thought, honestly, you were the first person that uh, I thought of, which maybe is a credit to you. Uh, maybe it's my own mania, but I knew you covered uh, the ACC quite closely, written by AJ Griffin a lot. So I appreciate you coming on and talking about him and uh, hope all is well with you on this uh, fine Monday. Yeah, not doing too bad, uh, all things considered. Uh, thank you for having me. And yeah, not only am I always down to talk, uh, talk, talk draft, talk basketball, but uh, I'm always here for AJ Griffin uh, discussions. So thank you for having <laughs> me on today. Yeah. So I, I said a little bit there, but uh, yeah, I'll let you kind of talk about how you, uh, you know, have been keeping an eye, a close eye on AJ Griffin. Obviously, you know, I, I covered the draft, but I was not like, you know, on the AJ Griffin beat necessarily. I, I watched him as a prospect uh, because he's been a prominent prospect for a long time, as I know, you know, um, and also play, of course, played at Duke, which is not exactly like he's a hidden gem in this process. <laughs> uh, he's playing on Duke, but uh, uh, you have a very close eye on, uh, on him in particular. So I want to give, give us some background on like uh, how you've been watching him and sort of what you're, what, what your beat has been and keeping a close uh, sort of a close eye on him. Yeah. I mean, I could not, I mean, he committed to do fairly early in the process. I, I remember writing the AJ Griffin commitment story. Um, and that was at a time of his high school career where he was obviously missing a lot of time uh, due to injury, but <clears throat> he had shown both at the high school level and on some of the, you know, USA basketball, you know, junior programs had really shown himself to be, a pretty special shooting prospect. I don't think I was quite ready for what I saw at Duke. And we can get into that, you know, more I'm, I'm sure here, but this season was, um, was interesting because 
after the 2020-2021 season, which, um, you know, pretty, 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 you know, was covering the league, but was a little bit more removed just because of it being the first full season during the pandemic. And this year was able to be back in Cameron, was there for all but a couple of home games. And so covered this team uh, up close and and watched every game at least you know, once, if not multiple times. And again, was was in person for a lot of those games. Could not wait to see AJ play uh, along with being, with Paolo Bancaro was, was in Trevor Keels to an extent as well, but was really thrilled to see Bancaro in Griffin. And then it was, you know, probably about a month before the season started, AJ had another knee injury during a practice, like early to mid-October. And when that happened, you know, Duke was pretty tight-lipped about the the timetable, the severity, all that sort of stuff. And I remember thinking, like, you know, A, I hope he's okay because I know this guy's special and you just want him to be good. But selfishly, you're also like, I'd like to see him play at, at Duke too. Like I'd like to, I've been looking forward to this. So I hope he can get back in, back out there at a healthy, timely fashion. And I remember they played early in the season, they played a, like a scrimmage up in DC against Villanova. And AJ did not play in the scrimmage. It was, you know, a week or so, a couple of weeks after the injury. And so just before the season was going to start and you could see, like, again, there was very little video that came out of the scrimmage that was, like, you know, publicly available. But Duke put out some stuff, and you could see they were playing at the Wizards practice facility. You could see in, in a couple of the shots on the second court, so where the <laughs> scrimmage wasn't taking place, there was some very muscular guy in the 21 jersey on the far end going through drills. And Duke talked about – Coach K talked about how quickly um, his body had responded well. He had worked his ass off to get through um, the treatment process. And so when I went to see them play the exhibition game against Winston-Salem State, he was out there. and But sort of similar to he was for much of the first month of the season, like didn't physically look quite right. Um, you know, could, could kind of get into a stance, but couldn't really move that well laterally. Didn't seem to have the kind of like vertical pop that you were expecting to see. And was really kind of just being used as like a, a rotation guy to back up Ben Caro, like was essentially just like the backup four for Duke. And then after there were certainly some flashes, like I think about the Lafayette game uh, and the Gardner Webb game where he played like 40 minutes, 35, 40 minutes combined in those two games. And he had a couple like wow plays. And there was even, even in the Gardner Webb game, there was like a transition possession where he went late in the game. Duke was up by, you know, 40 points or whatever. He went flying down the right side. And I can't remember who put the put the ball. Maybe it was Jalen Blakes or Jeremy Roach. But someone tried to throw him like a, like, you know, two-thirds of the quarter court uh, lob. Yeah. And he took off. Like, I mean, it was – he did, they, they did not complete the – like, I don't think he even caught the ball. But the like his ability to get off the ground for that made everyone in Cameron kind of like look to the person next to them and say, "Whoa!" Like hadn't seen hadn't seen him go flying through the air like that. Um, but really, it was a couple weeks later, or maybe even a month later, once they got back from the post, uh, like after the Ohio State loss, and the calendar flipped to December, and all of a sudden, you know, he's you know didn't look fully comfortable, but started to look more and more comfortable out there. 
And immediately you could start to see the, the three-point shooting touch, the shooting touch, which is special, um, both for this draft class and, and maybe even historically. Just like the shooting touch this guy has is special. One of the softest shots you'll ever see. It, it would feel like when you're at those games at Cameron, like almost like the ball was just falling in from the rafters, you know, right into the, <laughs> just this incredibly soft, high-arcing shot. So – and then after, I mean, the, then the game was on after that. I mean, for the rest of the season, he was incredible. You know, it was a coin flip every time he shot a shot a three, like whether it was going to go in or not. And then you could start to see some more of the flashes and, and we can get into some more of that stuff, I'm sure. But really enjoyed covering him up close this season. Uh, really, really fun a uh, nice charismatic guy who everyone was pulling for in and around the program and to see him, you know, land in what I think is a really good situation in Atlanta. Um, you know, it's obviously like to get a guy like this talented at 16 is, is big for the Hawks, but um, like <laughs> thought of, of this dude getting to play next to Trey young is uh, you know, whenever the time comes for him to, you know, be be one of the, the rotation wings for this roster is is uh, is super exciting. So, um, you know, we'll miss AJ in the ACC this this next season, but cannot wait to see him uh, in the NBA. This show is brought to you by RK One Up. We have big news right now: the one and only NBA Jam is back in our lives, and RK One Up is the leader at at-home retro arcade games, and they're not only bringing NBA Jam back as the best game ever; they made it bigger than ever with a Shack Edition machine. I've been a big NBA Jam guy for a long time. And it's really fantastic to have this back in my life. And I know it will be for a lot of my diehard friends out there obsessed with the game as well. And I'm thrilled to tell you, you can once, once again play hoops with NBA Legends in his arcade classic. You can jump across the court. It's all on fire. One of the first sports games ever to feature real digitized NBA licensed teams. No free throws and quarters required. And you can play against your family and friends with new Wi-Fi leaderboards, making you more connected than ever. And you can pre-order right now. Yes, right now for a pre-order at arcade1up.com. That is arcade, the number one, up. Dot com for an estimated early September ship date. RK One Up is the place for fun. They have classics like Golden Tee, Mortal Kombat, and many others. And listen up closely now because they're giving away an NBA Jam Shack Edition to a locked on listener. Enter for a chance to win a game console for your house or whatever you want it, honestly, at RK.com slash locked on. That is RK, the number one up.com slash locked on. You have until July 8th, so not much more time to get on this arc and enter to win the NBA Jam Shack Edition console. One more time, enter today at RK1up.com slash locked on. So you mentioned sort of the explosion that he showed in that moment you were referencing. And, you know, I, I did get a chance to see him a couple of times at lower levels. And of course, he's kind of famously had like a two year span where he didn't play very much because mm-hmm. he was banged up. Um, and then you mentioned as well, like he kind of had this weird false start to this season where it seemed like he might be out for a while. And then he ended up playing um, really the entire season. Um, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to be his doctor, but uh, what do you make of like the you know the rumblings that he may not you know have the most you know cleanest health record? Obviously, a couple of injuries already on his record. Um, you know, obviously the Hawks took him, so they're not terribly worried about it. He got a, they got a question about that, and he kind of they kind of said you know clean bill of health as far as they're concerned. But do you worry mm-hmm. about at all about his health long term? And also, like I know you would have seen him earlier in his career. Like he seemingly didn't quite have the same burst all the time last season yeah. at Duke as he did yeah. earlier. Um, what do you make of that as well? Sort of in conjunction with. Um, not only injuries, but also just getting that same burst back that he had earlier on. Yeah, it does seem like that is, I mean, look, he's, he's also remarkably young, you know, for a lottery yeah. prospect. Still, eight, so no still one, 18 right now. Yeah. Still 18. So like, you know, by no means a finished, uh, a finished product. Um, and look, he's going to have to, assuming, you know, the body holds up and is, is healthy. 
there are some, th- you know, he's not a finished product and there are some things he's going to have to do to be- try to become more explosive with his drives. Like obviously he has the shot to force, to force hard closeouts, but it's, it's the stuff that he's going to have to work on um, perhaps as a driver or, or being, you know, an on ball defender. I do worry a little bit at times about like sort of the lateral, the lateral quickness. Um, look, yes. Uh, the vertical pop maybe was inconsistent this season, but um, and certainly something that he really was only really able to show if he had like a bit of a runway, you know, and, a, and kind of a clear path, like not something he could really just sort of pull out of nowhere if there's traffic in front of him. Um, I am, and this is like a personal thing. I am someone who worries a lot, and um, you know, I am trying to get better about not assuming the worst case scenario is going to happen at all times. It's, it's something again, something I'm working on. So I think I'll be uneasy watching AJ to an extent. Like there were times this season where it would leave my mind. You know, he'd float around and hit six threes in the game, and you're not thinking like, "Oh, I wonder how the knee's holding up." You know what I mean? You're just thinking, "Oh my God, look at this guy." And then there were other times where, you know, he tried to try to drive the ball and couldn't get into a gap and would sputter a little bit or he'd fall going for a rebound and you would just hold your breath thinking like, God, I hope he can. Uh, and, and inevitably he'd get up and, and get back down on defense, you know, or whatever. So he, he seemed pretty resilient. I do think it's like, yeah, it's like reason for concern. I think it's also why he wasn't like a top five pick in the draft or a top six pick or seven pick or whatever. Like there is a reason why he fell uh, to, to the Hawks at 16. So certainly something to be worried about, but I think for a team like Atlanta that like, you know, can kind of take chances as far as trying to find, you know, uh, stuff to put in the toolbox around Trey, it's absolutely a worthwhile risk. You know what I mean? Because this guy does is a special, special shooter and a guy that I think has some sort of like superstar potential um, if he's healthy. And so, yeah, if you're drafting at 16, I think that's like yeah. an, an incredible, an, like, a, yes, you're, you're willing to take that risk, even if the medicals are a little disconcerting. Yeah. And that's kind of exactly where I am too. You know, obviously we don't, we don't have access to the medical information. You can kind of only go on what you hear and, you know, they got the question Landry Fields did when they introduced him. Um, and, you know, he seemed to be, at least the Hawks like their, like the medicals enough so they weren't, they weren't worried about it. And listen, you kind of said it, but like he fell that far. Uh, you got to just take the guy and the upside is what it is. We'll, go, so we'll sort of go through why that is and how, what the yeah. appeal is. But we definitely agree uh, in terms of like at 16 with his, um, even if for me, this is sort of a simplified uh, way to look at it. But even if he is just the shooter, he was at yeah. the college level, uh, he can return value at 16. Um, even just with that and like a little bit better defense than he played obviously at the the college level too. But uh, you know, and if if you believe in what you saw earlier at the, at the lower levels where he was the number one guy in their class um, there's obviously even room beyond that. So um, I do want to get into some of the stuff that he does. Obviously the shooting is the headliner. We've kind of referenced it, but truly some ridiculous shooting numbers at the college level. Um, I can go through them all, but I won't. Uh, even the synergy, synergy stats were uh, basically ninth percentile plus. Mm-hmm. Three point shooting stats, same thing. Uh, the stroke is really, you know, really pure. Obviously, there's been a lot of questions about like his wide base and kind of uh, not odd shooting form, but not not necessarily prototypical all the way through. Um, mm-hmm. Is he going to be a truly elite shooter in your mind? Like, what do you actually make of his shooting at the NBA level? Because you know, on paper, the numbers are uh, quite quite obviously awesome. Yeah, I, I think he has the ability to be because of that shot to the touch he has, which is just it's it's really really special. 
So, you know, I talked about sort of like the, the sweetness and the softness of that, of the shot. Um, but I also think his ability to like, and I know even the, we talk about the base a lot and, and perhaps why he has that type of a wide base to generate the power to, to get the ball to the rim, or, or maybe it was something that he developed, um, you know, while recovering from some of these, uh, the, these lower body injuries he's had over time. But, um, it, we, you know, you can talk about the release point a little bit, like he does some weird stuff with, uh, with his hands, but it almost doesn't matter because like it, he shoots it with such good touch with such accuracy. And I think the load time is pretty quick too. Um, so even in, he's got a high release and he's got, uh, you know, long arms to get the, the snap and get the ball off too. So I think all of that stuff checks out to be really, really good. Um, I think he has the ability to take bad passes and turn them into clean catch and shoots too. Like this is not someone that needs to be stationary and wide open and have the ball get thrown right into his abdomen or right into the shooting pocket for it to turn into a, a catch and shoot three. Like he can make tough catches um, and, and quickly get into his motion and get the ball up there. And once it, once it does, I mean, it's yeah, 40, whatever percent of the time it's, it's, it's going in. You mentioned uh, his ability to um, uh, you mentioned the synergy numbers. They're just ridiculous. Like one yeah. of the top spot up players in the country. And I think a big part of the, the spot up ability of him, again, he's not just stationary. He is a relocation artist. In my opinion, I think he has a really nice sense of when to slide up or shake up along the perimeter and get into like the vision passing cone of whomever has the basketball like he and Paolo Bencaro had chemistry on that like basically December through the end of the year they were so good at okay Paolo's on the at the right elbow he's going to drive left and spin right I'm you know strong side corner but when my guy comes to to dig to help up I'm going to slide to my left I'm going to get right and then all of a sudden it's going to be a much easier kick out pass for for Paolo Bencaro um I think there were other times this year you saw him, if he was stationed deep in the corner, like let's say Duke's running a horn set. They've got two at the elbows. They've got two in the corners. You know, yeah. one of more juniors got the ball up top and Griffin's one of the guys in the corners. Well, if the, if the initial ball screen drive goes baseline and it's headed in his direction, he is, he's also really good at moving from out of the corner up further up the wing. Right. So all of a sudden now, He's uh, his his man has lost track of him. He's created a passing window, and all of a sudden he's created an open catch and shoot look. Um, but he's so good as like the wing shooter working alongside pick and roll. So the ball screen happens, and if there's you know any rotation whatsoever, where you know let's say the defense is putting has two on the ball or is playing to the level, and Mark Williams is screening and diving, if AJ's guy leaves him to go tag, he's not going to just stand there. Like he's going to, he's going to slide right. He'll slide left. He'll get into the slot. And then all of a sudden he's open for a clean catch and shoot shot. And I think this is also where you can kind of tap into the shooting range with Griffin. Like he has big time shooting range off the catch and off those step back hang dribble moves that he likes to make. And so he just makes those closeouts be that much tougher, right? They've got to cover that much more ground. They're that much less likely to contest his shot or bother his shot because they're just, they don't have the amount of, uh, you know, time to close down that much space. So I just think he makes those like second rotations and closeouts when he's like, you know, weak side or shaking up from the corner on pick and roll. He just makes them really, you know, really, really tough. And just, I don't know, man, the thought of that skill next to Trey Young, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, Trey Young, a Kong Wu pick and roll or Trey Young Capella pick and roll is just like, 
yeah, good luck for dealing with that. That is like one of the other things too. It's like, I think, I think AJ Griffin is like a special shooter. You could put him on Mars with me as his point guard. And he'd be <laughs> a good shooter. But the thought of him getting to do it, you know, with, with Trey, just, you know, the ultimate pick and roll weapon and decision maker um, is incredible. And I think he also has these nice little tricks that he adds to the, the end of these relocation efforts, the shot fake followed by a, you know, a sidestep dribble. Uh, he'll stay in the corner, um, ditch the initial contest, and then shoot the corner three. I just think his like footwork in those areas, even with the wide base, is really, really tight. Like He has a good sense of sticking behind the line, or if he used the shot fake in the first dribble to, you know, and all of a sudden he's a step inside the line, then he'll use the, the step back or the hang dribble to get back beyond the arc. So I think that's that all of that stuff is like really, really good. Um, I think the thing that will make him like truly like an elite, elite shooter. Um, and maybe we can get into more, some more of the creation stuff, but it's like the pin down screen usage. I think this is where I worry a little bit about the shot base because it is so wide, assuming that's something you may look, maybe he cleans it up and gets that process, you know, airtight. But I do worry about that from like a process standpoint in terms of kind of like rapid fire, quick time movement shooting. Now I watched someone like Terry Rozier for the Hornets and he's incredible at staying on balance or if he gets off balance coming off a screen, quickly getting back into his shot form and getting it up. And that's something that like, you know, AJ didn't get a ton of movement sets at Duke. You know, they would occasionally run floppy for him, like the, you know, the Hawks run for, for Herder and Bogdanovich all the time. And, you know, some throwback action, the elevator doors plays, like some empty side handoff actions with Ben Caro. So he, he has some of that. And I think he does a nice job kind of reading defenders. Like if you put a wing and chase around the screen, he'll curl. Uh, if you try to cheat, if you try to like, you know, cheat on the screen and shoot the gap, he'll fade and get to his shot, put a big guy on him and he can catch and then kind of get into his bag a little bit and try to get to the step back three or, um, and he, he's even can give you a little bit of mid range scoring too, um, which is, I think is something that he may have the ability to do at some point in his career is be a guy that can give you some, some pull up three point shooting, some mid range shooting, but yeah, like, I I just think because of the touch and because the stats are just so, so good and have been since even before he got to Duke, that you can buy this guy as potentially, assuming everything holds up physically, as a guy that the versatility, the movement shooting, the intelligence, relocating, um, and then the, some of the counters he has off of that, yes, I think he has the chance to, to really do damage from, from, from distance in the NBA. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. As I record this, the NBA madness always is continuing at this point. Free agency is ongoing, of course. Summer League is in the future, very near future. Actually, I'm already on the ground to cover it, and future projections are already flying around across the basketball world. With that in mind, Bet Online is a place to fire away on the futures market as well as anything else in the sports world that you're looking for. They are the number one source for all your betting needs and information, both in the future and always. Find all the latest odds, news, and developments of the sports world. That includes MLB odds and scores, latest fight stuff, and even next season's futures on the NBA, college basketball, NFL, college, college football, hockey, soccer, and more. Metalize exchange stores for the wagering avenues like live betting and esports, and they have poker as well, casino games, and much more beyond that. And Metalize has, has you covered for other sports, hockey when they're in season. They, that includes golf and tennis, auto racing, rugby, lacrosse, tennis, horse racing, auto racing, soccer, cricket, entertainment bets, and any sport you could possibly think of. Head about online right now today on your computer or mobile device to learn more about all the trends and the action across the sports world and beyond where the game starts. 
I'm glad you mentioned the the Trey aspect too, because clearly, you know, on one hand, I know Hawks fans are like conditioned now to be looking for a secondary creator, which is not necessarily what Griffin is supposed to be right now. Like he could maybe do a little bit of that down the line, but he's more of that like perfect secondary guy with Trey in terms of like moving off the ball and being that shooter that the Hawks kind of already have in some respects with a guy like Bogdanovich, for example. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Griffin's 18 years old and a guy who has, you know, sky high upside etc in that role like also in addition i think you sort of got into it later on there about his potential mid-range game but he has really he, he had great numbers as a cutter in college mm -hmm. um didn't do a whole lot in pick and roll as a ball handler uh, i'm not sure how much that's part of his game maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit but like i mean again again like kind of quote-unquote worst case scenario like if he's just like a, a super dynamic off-ball player with his shooting gravity that is uh not necessarily what everybody's like looking for with the for the hawks right now because they kind of already have it but at the same time this is a long-term play, and uh, as you as you well know, you're never drafting a guy for his rookie season. You're drafting a guy for two, three, four years from now. And uh, at age 22, that player uh, is be would be pretty appetizing next to Trey Young <laughs> that, you just, that you just described. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really didn't get a lot of like pick and roll possessions at Duke, and and look, they had, a lot, we, lot, lot, lot of mouths to feed at Duke. I was going to say. Yeah, a lot, and like, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it's like it's it can be it's obviously it's a blessing, but. You know, it can move everyone down the pecking order a little bit when your power forward is Bancaro, right? It's like yeah. you just you want the you want the ball in this dude's hands every time, right? And, and obviously, look, Paolo got to run a ton of, you know, uh, the occasional inverted pick and roll, but a lot of like four or five pick and roll with Mark Williams and, and Theo John this season. And look, uh, Wendell Moore Jr., Trevor Keels, Jeremy Roach, like all these guys that played with the basketball a lot um, in the pick and roll, and so. The only time you really got to see Griffin doing anything sort of like simulating more of a pick and roll was some of the handoff stuff they would go to with him, yeah. you know, with Griffin or, or pardon me with, um, with Ben Caro or Williams. And I think he showed at least as like a shot creator. Um, he showed the ability, he showed like pretty good patience. Like he's not a guy that like gets sped up and gets into a hurry, like because of the high release, because of the shooting touch. Um, and he was obviously often he was dealing with, uh, you know, somewhat of a, an advantage in terms of size. He's so strong and he's so powerfully built in his upper body that he does have the ability to kind of just like get over guys and get the shot up. So, you know, I, I don't think, I think it's going to be a while from now before he's the guy that you would ever really give him the ball and tell him to run, but more than a couple of pick and rolls per game or something like that. But I do think he showed, Again, mostly just from like a shot creation standpoint, not really making plays for others, um, but the ability to be patient, get to either, you know, get to the step back or spin and get to that lean in the, that, the float, the runner, the floater in the mid, the short mid range or the fadeaway jumper in the, in the long mid range. Like he's got some of that stuff in, in his bag. So I think there is some secondary creation to him. Like he's not just a pure you know, catch and shoot guy or a pure movement guy or whatever, he, you know, he can do some stuff with the basketball. Um, and there were even flashes of, of, you know, him putting together combo moves and, you know, hesitation crossover to get downhill, then a spin move to get back to his right. Like it just, there wasn't a ton of it, but there were definitely flashes this season with him. So, um, and then you mentioned the cutting too. I think that's actually like a really underrated part of his game. Uh, Griffin moves really well without the basketball, the vertical cuts, cutting in from the slot, cutting along the baseline. That was how he got the majority of his dunks this season were, were off ball cuts and him just finding pockets of space to, uh, to get into. So is someone that is going to bend and distort defenses or tilt defenses 
even when he doesn't have the ball because of the shot and because of his movement and that he's tireless in pursuing those efforts. Yeah, no, it, it makes a ton of sense to me. And I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by what he can be, uh, you know, just beyond the shooting. Clearly the shooting is the number one appeal. That's why we started there. Um, that's his number one calling card right now, but he, he has, he has other traits. He, he moves well, um, especially the real relocation stuff and the cutting. And it's, it's pretty enticing for me. And listen, anything, with him with the ball in his hands as, a, as like a pick and roll mm-hmm. operator is a, is a secondary thing. That's like kind of a bonus. I do, there might be some stuff in there. I mean, obviously he used to be more of the number one guy coming, um, you know, in high school before he got hurt and all that stuff. Maybe that's a little bit untapped potential in there. And obviously it's a lot of physical tools, by the way, he's just enormous. Like seeing yeah. him at seeing him at the intro press conference on Monday, he's sort of a reminder Dude. of that. This guy's just jacked. I mean, I don't know what he weighs, but he is uh, not a small man. He's six, six, like six, eleven wingspan. Yeah. And like 220, 230. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's uh, that helps too in terms of just like being NBA ready. The first, uh, the first Duke game I went to this, I mentioned it a little bit ago, but it was an exhibition game last October. And he got in, I didn't, it, no one knew for sure he was going to play like media wise, knew he was going to play that day. He got in, I think, in the first half. And on the first defensive possession, he got into the defensive stance and just, I mean, he has tree trunks for legs, you know, like physically assuming everything holds up because of his uh, the wingspan and the frame that's be, that's able to pack on that much muscle at age 18. Yeah. Like he, again, should like could have a, a, you know, a body that's really, really ready to play in the NBA, but assuming, you know, the knees and stuff are, are ready to hold up. Um, but physically the profile is um, pretty impressive in terms of wingspan and strength. Yeah, and the last thing I want to make sure I mentioned out loud um, about his offense is that he didn't turn the ball over like hardly at all mm-hmm. at Duke, which is something that's you know maybe something that you might expect for more of a low usage guy because he did have a, a much lower usage than most guys of his profile as a you know high school All American uh, top you know top potential lottery pick kind of guy. But part of that is what we talked about earlier with all the mouths to feed at Duke. But you know a seven percent turnover rate is like super duper low. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you make of his passing? Like, do you think there's much there in terms of like, you know, when he's not able to just fire off or, you know, use his cutting and use his three-point shooting? Um, is he just like an adequate passer for an NBA wing in your mind? Is there, is there room to grow there too? Yeah, I think I, th- I would say adequate passer in terms of like ball mover, you know what I mean? It's, but nothing, you know, over manipulative or certainly what we saw at Duke. Um, and look, that's maybe a part of his game that like uh, is maybe, uh, uh, you know, along with the defense is maybe lagging behind a little bit, just like, you know, missed out on parts of his development and then ended up at Duke, which I think was a really good situation for him in a lot of ways. And he certainly bought into the role, happily bought into the role that Duke gave him. But we just talked about the the lack of like pick and roll possessions for him. You know what I mean? But I think he is a guy that can be a ball mover. I think he has the ability to, uh, you know, if he gets a hard closeout to put the ball on the deck, force a rotation and then, you know, kick it out to the opposite wing. So simple stuff like that to kind of just like keep the advantage going is something that I think he can do. But beyond that, the you know, everything else he'd be leveraging sort of like his scoring gravity for. Yeah. You know, and trying to play off of that. But um, just didn't see it. Didn't see a ton of it uh, th- this season um, at, uh, at, at Duke. 
and that, and that makes sense. I mean, that's not a huge deal. I think they probably know that as well. And mm-hmm. um, I, I want to transition to the defense a little bit, just because uh, one of the um, takeaways I've heard for, pe- for people is like maybe he, maybe maybe this is a product of him not playing a lot of basketball in the last three years. But like the, the processing is a, a little bit slow at, at times for him right now in terms of like you know feeling the game on both of the floor, and a lot of that's on defense. But maybe that's also the passing acumen too. But uh, defensively, I think you know it was not great all the time at Duke. Uh, I, I do wonder what he could be because he does have the physical tools, um, the stoutness, like he's a good enough athlete to where he should be totally fine. Um, but generally speaking, what did you make of his defense? And also like what kind of positional role do you think he should have in the NBA? Cause I think at the most, at least for right now, he seems like he's not going to be a stopper defensively, but like he does have like the sort of the physical size to maybe guard fours in the future. Like the versatility aspect could be pretty important there for, for him. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Yeah. I, the, because he has the, the, the strength and the weight he should be a guy that yeah in theory should be able to hang on and, and guard a bunch of different position types um especially because like what do, what do like how many fours are like you know real post up you know threats in the, in the nba now or guys that you're really worried about getting on the offensive glass i mean there certainly are um there are guys but you know a lot of guys that, that are going to play those roles are you know they're they're spot up shooters or spacers or stretch guys or whatever and yeah i mean aj can certainly hang there um I think there's like a willingness and an ability for him to get into a stance it is something where he looks very impressive when he gets like when he gets into a stance because the wingspan the muscles the lower body strength like you're just you look at and you're like man um this guy should be a fire hydrant to try to to try (laughs) to get around but I think it's that it's the first like you see the the lack of explosion at times with him driving the basketball and I sometimes feel like I see that when he's at the point of attack guarding against like the first step, the first dribble, like laterally guys are able, especially if they're smaller and twitchier, like they're able to just kind of get around him. Um, And he doesn't have sort of like the, the, I don't know, at times maybe like the confidence in his body to, to really like fight through a screen or to fight over the top. And, and so, I don't know, some of those things where it was tough to know, is this physical or is this like a mental thing? I do think like the struggles with lateral quickness are real and something to be worried about a little bit. Um, it's not like he was a complete sieve, but, it, you know, it was an issue at times at Duke this season. Um, I think there were also moments where, you know, he would look good if he was matched up against sort of like a, like maybe like a, like a, like a talented, but perhaps even like a bulkier yeah. creator. Like there was one, like when they played Wake in Durham, I was at the game and like he had a couple of possessions on LaRavia, Jake LaRavia, who, you know, 19th overall pick by Memphis, where he did a beautiful job fighting, fighting over the top of the screen for LaRavia, contested a, you know, forced LaRavia into a really tough runner. And, so, and but then there was another time, you know, a week or two after that, where they were playing NC State. He's on Darion Sebron and Sebron goes left, crosses right, and just, you know, races by, um, right. you know, AJ Griffin, Mark Williams comes over and blocks the shot. And then there's a putback. <laughs> so like, you know, the breakdown is all, it's all on AJ there. Um, so he's got a ways to go. Like he's, you know, he's probably a little bit behind there. Yeah. But again, he's still just 18 years old. Yeah, no, I mean, that, you know, that's part like, of it too. And I, and I feel like, you know, the off ball stuff, I think he feels the game reasonably well he'll, he'll, and he'll figure yes. it out long-term. Yes. And that, that's, especially the off ball stuff is like less of a concern for me right now because of the age, because of how little he's played. 
the the actual concerns for me defensively are just like kind of what you mentioned a second ago, like him trying to deal with smaller guys mm-hmm. or trying to deal with guys off the screens. Uh, I did not like the screen navigation aspect yeah. of him much. And part of that's technique stuff too, but he's not the quickest guy right now. That's part mm-hmm. of it too. Like, And that's one of the overarching questions of the, event, the entire evaluation. A lot of it's on offense too, but like what's – what's his ability to get quicker, get more explosive at the NBA level when he has, uh, you know, more basketball under, under his feet. Also, you know, NBA training, strength conditioning, all that stuff. Obviously not a guy who's going to be worried about getting bulkier. Like a lot of prospects are, he's already very, he's already very stout, but in terms of like the quickness in a short area, being able to get around screens, be able to close out effectively and not, you know, not like guys just blow by you by like uh, you know, sort of closing out a little bit heavy foot is kind of what I'm always thinking about my brain right now. So there's some concerns <laughs> defensively. And honestly, you know, I, I'm sure you know this, even though you're not covering the Hawks every day, the big, the biggest concern with the Hawks is like, can you play a guy with Trey Young defensively? And they can't really afford to have huge negatives on the wing on defense. Yeah. And that's perhaps my number one concern with Griffin. And even I love the pick, and I think you have to make that pick at that point as long as you're a couple with the medicals. But if there's one basketball concern, it's probably defense for me. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I understand sort of like the constraints of the roster around Trey. Like obviously he does he does so much for you offensively, but yeah, you know you're gonna want to be thinking about who are the guys that could be on the court with him uh in a playoff game right and right now you know griffin defensively probably isn't isn't there like he probably would have a bit of a target on his back um we'll see where he is in a year from now or or two or you know two years from now i also think some of the team defense like some of the ball watching like i think that stuff will get ironed out again he's young he's a wing um the more higher level basketball plays he'll be there i thought he had some kind of like nice flashes rotating being a helper at the rim like the occasional you know block that he would get on a putback or on a you know a weak side contest or something like that so I think there is some I think there's a little bit of like untapped potential because of the wingspan and because of his feel for the game as like a as a help defender but yeah obviously like you know he'll have to he'll have to iron out the mistakes there and certainly like I I completely understand the concerns with him navigating screens or trying to stay in front of the ball especially if teams are willing to like go out of their way to target him like that's going to be a that's going to probably be a problem for him for whatever it's worth and look you probably have gotten a sense of this by covering him or maybe even hearing Atlanta's brain trust talk about him or, or hearing AJ at his press conference um he is absolutely a worker I don't even think for this guy to even be here in this place that he is now after the injuries he suffered suffered pre-college yeah is pretty nuts actually um to 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 be at physically as imposing as he is to be this kind of special shooter with that kind of that kind of touch um i think speaks to someone that is 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 pretty dedicated to this and and willing to work um again you saw it at duke with his ability to really like attack the rehab process and i think it's something that he'll he'll work hard at look maybe he won't get there um but i think if assuming like the body holds up physically i think he's gonna end up i think he's gonna end up turning into like a a a solid rotation defender do you know what i mean like not a stopper but but yes the guy especially with that shot who you're just you're gonna want on the court and is gonna do like enough defensively um even if you're putting even if trey is the guy that's theoretically you know guarding the the, the weakest option perimeter assignment, you know, yeah. the stationary shooter or whatever. But I, I think Griffin has the ability to, to, to take some tougher assignments 
defensively, but it's just it's going to take um, a little bit a little bit of time. Um, and I did I would want to mention this too, like you know because we're discussing the defense, I think and I touched. I think there are absolutely obvious reasons to, to go at the defense and to be concerned about it. I would say I touched about the team defense a little bit. There is, I think an under discussed kind of winning plays element to Griffin. I think it goes again. I think it goes a little bit under the radar. We talked about his movement as a cutter and he'll just always move without the ball. Even when the action is not, is geared elsewhere or if he's, if you know, he knows he's not going to get a touch or whatever, he just moves without the ball. And again, given the, shooting profile and all that sort of stuff. It, it forces defenses to, to, to stay tight with him, to track him and forces rotations, et cetera. But defensively, the rebound numbers were okay. Not great. Like 13 and a half percent defensive rebound rate. That's actually not too bad. Like it's fine. Yeah. It's, it, totally it, okay. it, it's fine. Exactly. And, and look, I know, but to also be playing with Mark Williams and Paolo Bencaro, and I know Bencaro. And that's, been, and that's part of why it's fine. Like yeah, the context right. is what it is. We're like, it's very easy to see. He's playing with a bunch of, you know, five-star prospect athletes and, you know, and uh, a yeah. lottery pick level center and the number one overall pick on the roster. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like, yeah, I, I think I'm not really concerned about that. Obviously the Hawks need probably a little bit of that as well, but yeah, yeah, I, I think that, I don't know. And I'm, I'm a little always worried about that because the Hawks have had some guys, especially the three in recent years from your Torian princess to even DeAndre Hunter. Now they're not great rebounders, but I think that yeah. Griffin as a, as a three, even, and honestly, he might play some two. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like he's got, great size and I think he's probably a three long term mm-hmm. just because of what we talked about before defensively like he's probably gonna play up a little bit better against guys who are bigger but I mean the versatility there is uh is definitely appealing and you know he's 18 but uh it's I don't know I don't want to keep repeating that phrase <laughs> but it really is worth remembering um how young he is and especially look I'm saying this for Hawks people you know there's this um this rep out there that's earned with this coaching staff not loving rookies and um Similarly to, you know, Jalen Johnson a year ago, uh, who I know you also covered closely, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if he doesn't play much as a rookie, it'll be because of his defense, not because of his offense. And I think that is going to be frustrating, I'm sure, to a lot of people if that actually happens. But um, that's what takes longer. I think his offense should play right away, to be honest. Yeah, totally. I mean, that shot. Yes, it does play. You know, it's just it's, again, special shooter. But I would say, like. While the defensive rebound numbers, they're like, they are what they are. They're not, they don't capture, I mean, you know this, and I'm sure a lot of listeners know this too. Like, you know, something like defensive rebounding percentage or whatever, like it doesn't tell anywhere close to the whole story as far as like what you are as a rebounder. Do you know what I mean? And I just thought there were like, you know, once per game, maybe twice per game, you'd see him, you know, get a long rebound or get a loose ball or back to like do like a tap pass to a teammate, which again, I think sort of like speaks to his feel as a basketball player in general, and that it, it, it shows through in ways that are, that go beyond just like the, Oh, he cuts without the ball offensively. Like there, again, I think there's like a winning play feel component to his game that flies under the radar because we talk about the shot, the, in the injuries, you know what I mean? And I, I think there's actually a little bit more to his game than than just than just a spot up shooter you know what i mean i think again i think the winning plays component of him is something that it's not like really a big part of his profile but i think it i don't know maybe you know i just think it's something that speaks to his ability perhaps down the line as someone that is going to demand playoff minutes because of the shot because he's just like doing the right stuff defensively yeah i think that 
uh, it probably, especially because, you know, he is a famous name with an NBA player father who was a former mm-hmm. number, one overall, overall, number one overall prospect. And now his calling card is as a shooter. So um, I think there is a little bit of uh, underplayed, you know, just kind of the winning plays thing like you yeah. lay out there, um, especially because def- defensively is not great right now. But I think he does want to win. He's saying all the right things. Like you tell he's like a little nervous talking right now uh, <laughs> as he's coming in. And, you know, most guys are they're, yeah. they're getting their, their new city, all that stuff. But what he keeps saying, and I think this is obviously, you know, something that's easy to like is that you know he just wants to get started and wants to get to work and wants to win. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy <laughs> to see that. But also uh, the way he moves on offense off the ball is something that I think is an example of that um, because it's not just the standstill shooting or even, you know, his, him just shooting in general. It's the fact that he is intentional with what he is doing mm-hmm. um, in a, in a way. And honestly, I'm sure he learned a lot of tricks of the trade to be an NBA player from his dad. I mean, that's that's yeah. part of it. It's not, it's certainly not, not a bad thing to have a dad who is an NBA player uh, and, sure. and, and also a guy who had to grind. Like his dad was not a, five-star prospect his yeah. dad was more of a grinder so that probably helps you too in terms of like just getting that like that mindset together yeah and, and i would just say like you know we touched on a, on a lot of different you know physical aspects of his game um you talked about uh you know kind of where he is at right now getting ready to come in and be a part of the system in atlanta i would just say this like i gotta be you know it was pretty fortunate i mean stuff was still weird because of the pandemic this year but i still gotta be around this team a lot um this team pulled like like everyone in this roster, and again, it's not a bunch of it's not a bunch of nobodies waiting for their savior to come back. You know, like this is Paolo Vincaro and Trevor Keels and Wanda Moore Jr. And Mark Williams. They're all guys that were drafted in the top forty-five, couple, you know, last week, and they pulled like hell for him to get on the floor, and then they pulled like hell for him to be a part of the rotation. And then when he started becoming a thing for them this year they celebrated him like crazy. Like go back and look at, you know, after the Louisville game or after the win in Chapel Hill, like when he was, you know, a stud in both of those games, shooting the basketball, moving without the ball, like the way the team celebrated him. um, It's very obvious that like people like playing with AJ Griffin, you know, he's like very easy to pull for, even if you're a teammate and you know, that guy might come in and uh, take some playing time or take some touches away from you. and, And maybe that, you know, the pros are not college or whatever, but, uh, but uh, I don't know. That was definitely like a part of the picture too, where like everyone was really, really pulling for, for AJ this season. Um, not just Duke fans, but you know, guys on the team, coaching staff, players, et cetera. Um, and so they were obviously very happy for him to, to be able to show just, you know, at least, at what least a, 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 like a snapshot of how talented he is. Cause we didn't get to see it all this year, but certainly got to see uh, the, the shooting touch, which is electric. Yeah, no, I'm glad that's part of the reason I wanted to to talk to you is that you, you have that on the ground knowledge that, you know, mm-hmm. you can watch film and, you know, we can all watch the same film, but you would know that stuff from locally more often, you know, the, the personality stuff. And also just, you know, it's quite a journey to basically not play for two years in terms of organized stuff and then be at Duke under the spotlight when you were a five star and people expecting the war from you. And then you also have, as you mentioned, at the very top of this, of this discussion, an early injury, even when he got there. So like, there's just a lot of obstacles there. And um, if you are comfortable with the injury stuff in terms of just like putting it to the side, the overcoming that and working and being the grinder and getting back and doing all that stuff and sort of proving yourself and still being 18 with time to grow is a, is a pretty enticing package. And like, you know, yeah. I love, I love the pick. I mean, we can, we can wrap up, but I, I love the pick when it happened. I, I like it even more now that we've talked in this format, uh, knowing all the stuff from behind the scenes and, you know, you never know. The NBA draft is a uh, inexact science. He might get hurt again. He might have issues or whatever. But uh, I think at 16, 
Uh, it sounds like you agree. It sounds like a pretty pretty easy pick in my mind. It was it was a guy that I would have taken with all, with the intel that I have. But uh, I, I really I really like the, the the future of him. I I thought like um, uh, we we're not going to get into my full thoughts on <laughs> what the Hornets <laughs> did last week. But I would have been very happy with AJ Griffin at at pick thirteen to Charlotte. In fact, I would have been thrilled at the prospect of that. There's 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 one last stat I'd like to read off for with with Griffin this season. You mentioned. Obviously, we, we, you mentioned the insane uh, shooting numbers, the synergy numbers, but um, Bart Torvik's site had Griffin down for eight dunks this season. Um, I would say I charted every Duke game, uh, cut the film up, broke out all the possessions down, have stuff for every player on the roster. Um, I have Griffin down with nine dunks this season, um, six of which came off of cuts, two of which came in transition, and only one came in the half court as a pick and roll ball handler, which was at UNC on kind of like a, a little bit of like a broken play. Um, I also have AJ down for four other, what I would call dunk attempts, um, which he was either fouled in the act or he missed the dunk. All of those also came off of cuts, put back attempts or in transition. So I've got to combine 13 dunks or dunk attempts for Griffin this season. Uh, combined with only one successful like live dribble in the half court. So again, like, you know, one, he's very good moving without the ball and he can be a very impactful finisher as a cutter, not just relocating for threes, but can, can cut to the rim and finish with some, with some pop and some authority. But yeah, like as a driver physically, like he's, he's not quite there just yet. So anyways, that's one other number. Some couple other numbers I wanted to spit out on, on Griffin while we were recording today. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, – I find it all very interesting. I, I was uh, candidly staring at a synergy profile for like an hour at one point, just like, <laughs> oh, very good, very good, excellent, yeah. very good, very good, very yeah. good. And, uh, yeah, that doesn't always tell you everything, but it's uh, it's notable for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, feel free to add anything else if you want to. If not, I really appreciate all the time. And please uh, plug what you got going. I know you are, uh, you're always diving on the ACC, but you also have NBA interests as well. So please tell people where they can find your work. Yeah, yeah. We can find me on Twitter at, at bguys underscore bird. Um, don't judge me off my Twitter handle. I made it when I was uh, much younger and didn't know what Twitter was going to be. <laughs> and I'm just sticking with it. So we're going just, for just, it. Just roll with it at this point. Just, yeah. it's, it's, I should have changed it probably like five years ago, but we're, we're going with it now. But you can find me on Twitter there. You can find most of my work at accsports.com. Uh, at the top of the page, you'll see an ACC, a tab that says ACC Analytics, and a lot of scouting breakdowns. Um, a lot of team breakdowns, you know, examining where some off-season transfers who are coming into the ACC um, are going to, are gonna, you know, how they might fit into their current system. So it's a lot of stats. It's a lot of film work. Um, you know, there's a lot of people doing that stuff for the NBA. There's maybe not quite as many with, with, with college. Um, so a lot of those types of breakdowns there and, and certainly like scouting profiles and of returning prospects or guys that are, you know, uh, getting set to enter the, the league. And then um, for anything Hornets related, if people are you know trying to keep up with the team that's a little bit further up I-85, um, the Buzz Beat podcast, you can find that on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts with me and my co-host Spencer, Richie, and Lee. Um, we put out at least one episode a week. We've been doing a lot of stuff recently because of the coaching changes and oh, the yeah. draft. Um, but yeah, you can, you can find stuff there and find this, find that on Twitter at Buzzbeat Pod. If you're looking for, 
you know, scouting breakdowns. We'll be doing I've – got, I've got like a piece I'm working on on Bryce McGowan, who the Hornets took in the second round. So um, – but anyways, those would be the main places to find me. I recommend that for sure. Like I said at the beginning, I really did think of Brian uh, immediately when I was talking when people trying to talk about AJ Griffin, who would know him uh, much better than I do. And I, uh, I think we've all seen that that's definitely the case at this point. So thank you for coming on, my friend. I appreciate this. And if I can ever do anything for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Uh, as for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast. Check out Brian's work across platforms. And we'll see you all next time.